Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5 with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Joining us on today's episode is Meg Dahl, a somatic experiencing practitioner who works with women who are looking to overcome eating disorders and disordered eating, body image issues, hypothalamic amenorrhea, and developmental trauma. So on today's episode, we're diving into the world of trauma healing and somatic experiencing, with both have been super hot button topics on social media. So Meg is helping us demystify these concepts, sharing insights on why trauma healing is gaining popularity, and dispelling misconceptions surrounding its connection to weight loss. Meg sheds light on how our relationship with our bodies often demands a profound healing journey, discussing the role of the inner child in shaping our body image. So welcome back to Wholehearted Eating, friends. Today we have a very special guest because I think Meg was like one of my first friends in the blogging Instagram podcast space. We were just saying before we started recording, I was looking back and I have a guest blog post from her from October 2014. (laughs) And I only started my blog in September 2014. (laughs) So it was like very much at the beginning. And at that time, and when I had you on the podcast, then we were very much more talking about like eating disorder stuff and orthorexia and overcoming food fears. And we all three of us here have really kind of evolved in our practices and philosophies and stuff over the years. So we're super, super excited to have you on. And I think Christina actually wants to go into the first question here. Yes. Because we're going to be going into somatic experiencing and stuff. So Meg, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Do you, before we get going into the first question, do you want to share with us a little bit about you and like your story a little bit? If people haven't been here for 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) If not, all of us have been on the 10-year ride. (laughs) Right. Yes. And I will try to keep it short, but like, yeah, so wild that we've been friends for at least like I would say 10 years. So that's pretty cool. Thank you so much for having me on your show. And yes, We all have evolved so much over the past decade. So my background really starts in like I went to university and studied dietetics. And so like that's kind of how my business started with like my food and nutrition background. I studied dietetics in university. I went to the Canadian School of Natural Nutrition to be a registered holistic nutritionist, started my own business that way, working with clients on food and nutrition. But because I personally have experiences with eating disorders growing up, a lot of the clients that came my way were also struggling with their own food and body image issues. So that's always been like my jam. It's always been like my area where I've been helping clients. Mostly, not all of my clients have eating issues or body image issues, but that's what I work with a lot of. And as you gals know, um, there's a lot of trauma involved in that and emotions, and it's just not all about food, right? And so I love getting deep into things. Like I honestly think talking about food and nutrition I honestly think that's kind of boring. I think there's just so much more we could be talking about rather than what we eat every day, diets, et cetera. And so I, and also with my own healing journey, it really led me to this place of learning about somatic experiencing and IFS or parts work and 
everything just like really started clicking with me and I wanted to start studying these areas as well. So I actually just completed my somatic experiencing like a three-year program and that's super exciting and I'm excited to be on here and chat a little bit more with you. I'm very excited because those are all like my I totally I was kind of laughing when you said I think talking about food is boring and I do too like I I talk about this a lot about how I feel like the eating disorder stuff is like the branches of the tree you know and then everything underneath it is the roots and like where like the roots is the work that you really want to do if you want to really shift your relationship with self and so to do the work with trauma healing and somatic experiencing and especially when it comes to disordered eating patterns and body image stuff feels like that's the place to really dive into to, if you really want to have an impactful shift and there's no better time to be getting into this meg than there is right now because trauma and somatic stuff is blowing up on tiktok and instagram i feel like all i'm hearing about and seeing over and over again maybe it's just who i follow but i'm heavily targeted <laughs> with trauma work and stuff like that and therapists talking about trauma and inner child stuff and everything and i don't know if other people have experienced this but i have started to see a lot of accounts uh focused on that and also weaving in weight loss as part of it which feels completely disgusting on so many levels um and i think it's interesting and i i feel like as people are getting targeted with more and more of this stuff we're left kind of wondering well what's real and what's not so real and what does this mean and what does that actually mean so i would love it if you spent a couple minutes defining what somatic experiencing is um and what trauma is to make yeah. it just a little bit more clear to people like what that actually looks like yeah absolutely and you're not the only one i also have a feed that is just like filled with the words like trauma, regulation, somatic, et cetera. And I always think it's so cool when, you know, we see more of this stuff being talked about. Like there's there's kind of like good and bad about it, right? Because a lot of the people too, I'm not sure if you noticed this, but we I see a lot of people using like somatic language like we see those words or trauma and it's not necessarily coming from people who have been like actually studying somatic experiencing and so I think that's kind of where a lot of like the messaging and the understanding kind of starts to get lost and confusing because the people using the words and the language and the teachings it's like it's not coming from that place of like actually studying what it is so yes I would love to talk <laughs> more about somatic experiencing and trauma and I'm glad you mentioned trauma too because I'm often asked like what is somatic experiencing and I actually like rewinding it a little bit I'm like well before we actually get into somatic experiencing can I define what trauma actually is because that's another word that I think we see thrown around all the time. And I feel like 2023, like, was the word trauma? Like, it's just like everyone's referring to something as a trauma or, oh, that's a trauma response. And not everything is traumatic, not everything is a trauma, and not everything is. A trauma response either. And something really big for me throughout my studies in somatic experiencing was actually realizing what trauma actually was. So trauma isn't actually the event itself, which I thought was so cool when I understood that. So it's not actually an event, but it's how an event or an experience impacts a person's nervous system. And so like just even letting that sink in, it's not the event, but the impact of the event or an experience. And I think that can change 
so much for people because even reflecting back on, let's say, like your childhood or just, you know, life past, a lot of people think like, oh, well, nothing like crazy ever happened to me. So I must not have any trauma, right? Well, it doesn't have to be anything like that looks like a traumatic event from the outside. Like it doesn't have to be, um, you know, this obvious form of abuse or war or a car accident or like these things that we can like understand that are traumatic or that are typically referred to as like this traumatic event, right? It's how this experience actually impacts your nervous system. So we can see things that are actually impacting our nervous system in this way. Um, Things that happen too quickly are falling into that category of being like a trauma. So something that happens too fast or too much for the nervous system. It can also be things that don't happen soon enough or we don't receive enough of whatever it was that we needed at that time of the experience or the event. It's interesting because this is pretty much exactly how I explain like the stress response response process to my clients, right? Because most people think like, oh, like I don't have that many stresses going on. Like I'm not very stressed or anything like that. But the, you know, the similar way we explain it is like the actual event or thing or whatever it was that's outside of the body is the stressor. But the physiological process that happens afterwards with all the different hormones and nutrient metabolism and everything like that and inflammation and like all of the different things that people talk about is the actual stress, which sounds very similar to how the body can experience different like traumas as like a noun. But then the actual trauma is what is then stored in the body and the body is attempting to process, which can then lead to nervous system dysregulation. I love how you defined what trauma is, because I think a lot of times that's how I describe it. It's like not the event itself. And I think people get that confused. And I, I love the way you described that. I think one of the things, too, is it's interesting as well because it's hard to tell what it's actually doing to you and like what that experience is like. And I would love for you to define a little bit about now that we know what trauma is, we know and see a lot about how somatic experiencing can be supportive of trauma healing work. So I'd love for you to define somatic experiencing a little bit, what exactly that is and what is it really doing for the body to help with these traumas that we have all experienced to some varying degree or another. Yes, for sure. So just like a little recap, trauma, too much, too fast, too soon, not soon enough, not enough at the time, right? So those are the things that can be a trauma. And then here we go into somatic experiencing. So it was actually founded by Dr. Peter Levine when he was observing how animals recover from a traumatic experience in the wild, which is so cool to me because animals out in the wild, they're not actually stuck in these survival responses as we are in our lives as humans. And so when it comes to understanding what somatic experiencing is, we want to understand the nervous system and the different states of the nervous system. So that'll really help us understand what somatic experiencing is and how it can be so supportive when working with trauma and like renegotiating trauma and healing from trauma. So there's three main states within the nervous system and we can like see like some blending between states and I can kind of touch on that too if that's cool. So let's start with like the ventral state because that's kind of where we want to be hanging out most of the time. So on social media, Usually, like this ventral state is actually referred to as being regulated, but that's not actually true. And we can talk more about like what regulation actually is. But this ventral state is our state of safety. 
So when we feel safe, that's where we're hanging out in this ventral state of our nervous system. We can feel calm. We can feel like we're connected with ourselves, And from this ventral state, we're also feeling like it's safe enough to connect with other people in our life. Now, when we're hanging out in this ventral state, it's not actually like this state of perfection. Like not everything in life is going to be perfect when we're in this ventral state. So don't think that like, oh, all of this stuff in my life has to be addressed in order for me to actually access that ventral. That's not how it is. Um, Something I really like thinking about is that things feel good enough when we're in this ventral state, right? It's not perfect. Things can be kind of like not going as planned or we might have some stressors in our life and we still feel good enough, okay enough, safe enough, right? Things are good enough. And our thoughts are actually going to reflect each of these states. And so I thought maybe it would be helpful too if I even kind of shared like some thoughts that might come up when we're in each of these states, because that's another really cool thing about somatic experiencing and doing this type of work, because we are working with the nervous system rather than it being like this cognitive approach, right? Where I think we have this, many of us, until we get to like this understanding of the nervous system. But I think in the health and wellness space, there's a lot of focus on like, oh, we have to change our mindset or heal our mindset when what if we look at the nervous system? Because the nervous system actually drives our thoughts, which is so cool to me. I thought that like that just changes so much, right? So when we're hanging out in that ventral state, we feel like, you know, okay, things are good enough, right? Like, I'm okay. Things are safe. I I can connect with this person and not safe, right? So those are what our thoughts are kind of going to be sounding like. And then the other state or one of the other states is that sympathetic state. Now, a lot of us might be more familiar with sympathetic being referred to as like the fight or flight state, right? And I'm sure people listening to your podcast probably have a pretty good understanding of like what that's like, right? And so the emotions that might be associated with this fight or flight or sympathetic state of the nervous system is anxiety, being worried, being super stressed, right? Also, when it comes to like food stuff and whatnot, like in healing, this is going to be where you feel like you constantly need to be like seeking out information in order to heal, right? Like kind of on that like um, like going down that rabbit hole or like going on that hamster wheel, right? And you're just like spinning your wheels, trying to fix it, always feeling like something's going to go wrong, right? And so when we're understanding this from like that nervous system perspective, It's like that mobilization energy. So we're feeling a lot of energy in the body. It feels like we always have to be going, going, going. And so these are, this is speaking to like the people that also feel like they can never just chill, never just rest. I mean, I was living in that state for many, many years of my life. Like rest was actually terrifying for me. And that makes a lot of sense when you understand the nervous system. So there's nothing like wrong with you if you feel that way. But I I just think it's so life-changing when we can understand the nervous system and then so much of what we do and why we do it in our life like makes so much sense. You know what I mean? And so some things that someone might think or the thoughts they might be experiencing from this place is that like, I need to fix this in order to be okay, or I need to do this in order to be okay. So it's always like about doing that mobilization energy coming from a place in order to be okay, I need to do this, right? 
or being super stressed, anxious, worried. And then we have like this blended state between like the sympathetic state and then the dorsal state. And this is what we call freeze. And so a lot of people also experience freeze within their system. And that's feeling like we need to do something, but that something is too much. So we just can't do it. Right. It's like, I have like this ginormous to-do list and I know I need to do that. And like, we're feeling that mobilization to do that, but then we get completely overwhelmed and we're just frozen and can't do anything. And then we also have like this dorsal state, which is part of the parasympathetic state within the nervous system. But this dorsal state is like shut down. So this is where we see a lot of like numbness, dissociation, depression, really feeling like everything's too much. I'm never going to be okay. I'm all alone. I have no support. Those are some types of like the thoughts that might come from that place. And so what somatic experiencing offers us is there's actually a really big education component to somatic experiencing because just as you see, like even me explaining those different states of the nervous system, it's like, whoa, that makes so much sense, right? So I think like, when I'm working with clients, um, that education piece is huge because things just start to like click into place and you start to understand yourself better, your nervous system better, and like why you're doing the things that you do. And that's huge in itself, right? And so somatic experiencing, it is an experience. So If I'm like talking about somatic experiencing today and any of the listeners are like, I still don't really get it. I'm still (laughs) kind of confused. I get that a lot, right? Because it's not this cognitive thing. Like the type, like it's a type of therapy that isn't cognitive, right? So if anyone listening has never actually had a somatic experiencing session before, They can listen to me talk about it all day and try to understand it. But since it's actually not like a cognitive type of therapy, you might actually have to experience it for yourself in order to fully understand it. And that's not because like, oh, you just like don't get it. But literally everyone just needs to experience it in order to fully understand it because In a somatic experiencing session, we're working with the nervous system. And what's so cool about the nervous system is that it doesn't actually communicate through the verbal language like you and I are, or the three of us are communicating right now, right? Like we're talking with each other through words. And that's not actually how the nervous system communicates. It communicates through the felt sense or sensations. So I think anxiety is kind of like one of those emotions that probably most of us have experienced at least one once in our life, right? And what if we just like even drop the label of anxiety? So like that term anxiety. And I always like saying like, what if we got underneath the label? Like what's underneath that label? So if we were to drop the label and got curious about what does that actually feel like in your body, there's going to be a sensation along with that, right? And that's the language of the nervous system. The nervous system is communicating through that felt sense. And so that's really where somatic experiencing comes in and like a practitioner who works through that lens um, comes in and we actually support you in returning to this innate rhythm, like this regulation. And I, I did mention I was going to talk more about regulation, but I'll just like pause here since I answer kind of like that somatic experiencing question and we can get into that later if you'd like. 
That was a perfect explanation. I actually really love that. And I think the way that you kind of framed it and then went back to what somatic experiencing is. And I think what's really difficult if you're listening to this, I think it's to understand it is really difficult, like you're saying, because we're not really taught how to feel our emotions physically. We're really taught how to intellectualize our feelings a lot and talk about what they mean why we feel them and what the word is. So when you say like going underneath it is the physical sensation of the body. Like I can feel like, like, you know, a tightness in my chest or whatever it is, is really like where it comes from. And it's really hard for a lot of people, especially when we're, when we're really used to kind of not feeling in our body and doing stuff that's outside of our body, something like somatic experiencing is going to feel really foreign. And having that described is probably something that people listening are like, I don't, does not compute. Like, <laughs> like, don't get it. Like, not okay. Like, I don't get it. Which is fine because you haven't been taught how to do it and how to feel those types of things. And so when you work with someone, you get to have that, that kind of experience, which is really cool. It makes sense that you're saying that this is something that you might have to experience for yourself for the first time in order to, to understand it, which I think makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And it's kind of in the name too, right? Yeah. Like somatic yeah. experiencing. Like, yeah. That's what I was just going to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The name says it all, guys. <laughs> I think one of the things too is I think one of the, like you mentioned earlier about how like the term dysregulated kind of gets thrown around. And I think that it would be really cool to for you to describe that a little bit more now that we understand the trauma, like what somatic experiencing can be. How do we maybe know if we're feeling potentially dis this term dysregulated that we're hearing a lot, but not a lot of us might identify with? You're like your current state, could you just could be operating all the time dysregulated and think it's my personality? <laughs> yes, yes, dysregulated and regulated, right? And I, I just think that there's like so much misunderstanding that can happen when we talk about these words or when even and this happens with everything like food stuff like or whatever it but when we start to focus on something then we can be led to think that like the other thing is bad or we don't want that to happen right so when we hear a lot about like oh these are the five things you can do to be regulated right? We start thinking, well, I need to be regulated all the time, right? So what being regulated actually means, that does not mean that there's no stress in your life, that you're never experiencing any sort of emotion other than happiness, bliss, joy, calm, groundedness, right? And I really do think that a lot of people start thinking that, that like, if anxiety pops up or if stress pops up or if sadness pops up, all of a sudden, like, oh, no, these like alarm bells start going off. And it's like, well, I have to do everything I possibly can to, quote unquote, like regulate myself. Right. Whereas what regulation actually means is that when we can experience stress or we can experience sadness, or we can experience anxiety, and we're returning to this place of ventral, like I was talking about before, this place of safety. Like we want to be able to have this flexible nervous system where we can experience all of these different emotions because we're humans. We're, we're going to, we want to experience different emotions, right? Like even me for an example, like I am so pumped that I did this three-year program through somatic experiencing. I'm, I feel like proud of myself. I feel super excited to have done that and complete honesty. Like I'm quite sad about it too. Like it was a pretty significant period of my life for three years. I met so many cool people doing the program. We live all over the world. And now I'm like, whoa, that's so weird. You know, like these 
like those group that was a really big part of my life for three years, I'm probably like never going to see them again. And it it's sad, you know? And so part of being human is being able to experience all sorts of emotions, but not getting like stuck in these places, right? And so that's kind of like the difference between having regulation in the nervous system where we can be sad, but we're not getting lost in it. Or we can experience stress, anxiety, we're not getting stuck there, right? We experience that and we return back to this place of safety. Dysregulation is when we're like chronically stuck in that fight or flight or that dorsal or that freeze, right? And that's really where somatic experiencing can come in and support the nervous system in having regulation within the system rather than being chronically stuck in these states of activation or dysregulation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really important to reinforce that of what we're really going for with regulation is more resilience, right? And like the ability to bounce back. And this is something we talk about a lot on the podcast and then also with our clients when we're talking about food thoughts or like negative body image thoughts, or even if we're working with clients who are looking to manage symptoms, autoimmune disease, we're going to talk about hormones and stuff later. It's not that we're looking for or aiming for this like picture perfect, like nothing's ever going to happen to me again. I'm never going to have a thought of going back to dieting or weight loss, or I'm never going to have a negative body image thought again. It's that when these things happen in an ideal world, you know, they're happening fewer and farther in between, it affects you less. And then you also have the tools to get back to whatever your more resilient state or more regulated state is, right? Like it's, it is completely unrealistic to say, oh, I'm never ever going to experience a state of dysregulation ever again. Like that's not ever going to happen. And when you work with any of us, regardless of what we're working on, we will always reinforce that to you because I think if we're setting the standard of this perfectionism where it's like, oh, well, if you work with a somatic experiencing practitioner and now you have the tools, if you're ever dysregulated again, like you're doing it wrong, you know, like that's not what we're saying and that would not be realistic and it would also really go back to the very perfectionistic mentality of like if something happens to you now if you have the tools, it's your fault, which is definitely something that a lot of our clients and listeners will, you know, say they have experienced, especially when it comes to like the functional medicine world or something like that, is if they feel like, oh, well, I have the tools now to manage my symptoms. So if I ever get symptoms again, like it must be my fault because I'm not using the wrench the right way or I'm not using the right wrench or something like that. But I love how you're trying to, you know, continuously reinforce like, yeah, shit's still going to happen. And like that is a part of life. But ultimately what we're going for is not to prevent the shit from ever happening again. It's more like we don't want the stuff to be happening all day, every day, all the time, which is then contributing to this state of dysregulation that's really hard to get out of and is completely exhausting on the body. What we're looking for is like if and when that does happen, you can kind of flow a little bit that way and then we'll kind of flow back to this middle. But you're never going to be sticking and staying in the middle forever because it's not realistic. <laughs> That's also real, like the real blueprint for toxic positivity. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where it's just like, everything's fine. I'm totally regulated. And meanwhile, you're stuffing down every emotion you've ever had. It's like you've never been less regulated <laughs> than you are right now ignoring everything that's going on in your life, which is like another like kind of funny thing to me that I think comes up a lot with body image stuff too is around being like super body positive and like, ex like I love acceptance-based like um, theory when it comes in therapy when it comes to body image work, but I do feel like sometimes it it requires a little bit deeper digging, if you will. <laughs> a little bit, it's like a 27-layer cake. <laughs> I know, right? It's when I talk about roots, I'm talking about really digging deep here. But I think you could probably talk about that a lot, about how our relationship with our body requires a lot more deeper healing and thinking about how this could look when using something like somatic experiencing or um, I think another thing that that people talk about a lot that 
you and I, uh, Meg, have a lot in common with is um, interfamily systems work and um, parts work and stuff like that. I feel like that's so important for that. And I think um, I would love to hear your thoughts around how that can help with that body image piece and also like kind of, you know, making sure that we're using the tools that are available to us to help us pull through those emotions and kind of get to the other side instead of being stuck over in this other place that we that's not serving us long term. I would love to. And I think there's, you know, there's different approaches to this, but you actually brought up internal family systems. So IFS or parts work. I it's just easier to say IFS or parts work. Um okay so from a somatic experiencing lens, let's go back to what I was saying before about how the nervous system actually drives our thoughts, right? Like our thoughts are actually a result of whatever state we're in within our nervous system. And I think this is so cool to think about or just like have awareness of an understanding of when it comes to body image stuff, because body image, like if someone was to be like, oh, I'm really struggling with my body image today, or I'm really having a bad body image day today. And if you were like to get into that with them, it would all be like about the thoughts they're having about their body, right? So it's like, okay, what if we knew that our nervous system drives our thinking, right? Like our, all of our thoughts are a result of where we're at in our nervous system. So just even for a second, could we even like set those thoughts aside and get curious about what's happening inside, right? And I mean, like, when I say inside, I mean, like, neck down, right? When we're working, like, through a somatic lens, we're curious about what's happening neck down, right? It's like, okay, we can Let's just like let those thoughts be there because they're going to be there. We're human. We're going to feel emotions like we were saying before. And we're also going to have thoughts, right? So if we can kind of like accept that's what's going to happen, can we just like set that to the side and get curious about what's actually happening like neck down? And from there, we're probably going to notice or like the client if we have a client that is coming to us with body image issues or a bad body image day they're probably going to notice some uncomfortable sensation which is like the cause of that thought right so it's like can we work with these sensations Versus thinking that like there's something wrong with our thinking and we need to do something with those thoughts or follow those thoughts and believe those stories to be true, right? It is so incredible witnessing my clients approach their quote unquote like bad body image days in this way or their body image issues in this way of being more curious about the sensation and in a container that there's with somatic experiencing, there's like a really important thing called co-regulation, right? Now, when someone has a lot of dysregulation in their system, it's going to be challenging for them to just like tend to their own sensations within their system, right? And so that's really where it can be so, or that's why it is really beneficial to actually work with a practitioner because you're getting that co-regulation in a session, right? And that's so important for healing. And so that's what we do in session when we're working with body images, really getting curious about those sensations and supporting the nervous system in moving through that. Now, there's another really cool thing that we can do as well, and that's IFS or parts work, right? Because we, and so parts work, and I'm assuming you've probably talked about parts work on this show. No. Okay. So it's basically like this understanding that we have like multiple parts 
within ourselves, like all of us do, right? And this was a huge thing for me in fully recovering from an eating disorder. Now, if you don't mind me sharing a little bit about like why that was so big for me, because I think in eating disorder recovery, and I know this was my experience and the experience of many of my clients as well. So it will probably land with a lot a lot of our listeners today. But I think in eating disorder recovery, like the understanding of the eating disorder is kind of like this bad guy, right? It's like we have to do the opposite of what the eating disorder wants. The eating disorder is bad and we need to like fight the eating disorder. Like that language was used all the time throughout my recovery, right? And it was like, so when those eating disorders behaviors popped up or those eating disorder thoughts popped up, it was like, oh no, this is so bad and I need to fight this, right? And it was just like a constant internal battle all the time. And and it started to feel like there was like this big, scary eating disorder that was like trying to rule my life. And that wasn't a good thing, right? Whereas parts work such a like breath of fresh air and such a compassionate approach. It's really this understanding that we all have these parts within us and not a single part is a bad part. It might be confusing as to why a part is doing what it's wanting us to do, right? For an example, there might be a part that feels like it's safer to just not eat or it's safer to track all your calories and macros and food and weigh and measure, et cetera, et cetera, or work out X amount of hours every single day, right? So there's these parts that might have some like confusing intentions, but the idea of parts work is that we don't have any bad part. And so when we can like understand our parts in that way, we can kind of like get more curious about like, oh, okay. So if this part doesn't have a bad intention, I wonder like, why it's doing what it's doing, right? And parts work really gives us that opportunity to meet our parts and get to know our parts and even free them from these like past burdens or wounds. And those are like kind of like the words we use in parts work, right? And so when it tying this all back into body image is that there's, you might have a part or multiple parts that hold on to these very old beliefs about yourself or about life that are impacting the way you feel inside your body. And parts work can like actually offer us this opportunity of healing those parts of ourselves. And I think that's kind of like where inner child, like, and I'm using like air quotes here, you know, like it kind of feels like a lot of people will refer to this as like inner child healing, but um, I like kind of taking that parts work approach to that. Yes. <laughs> yes to all of it. Yeah. I'm a huge IFS fan. And that's a lot of the stuff that I that I do with my clients too when I work with them with eating disorders. And I think um, one of the things that I really agree with wholeheartedly is the no bad parts aspect of it. I think a lot in eating disorder and every single client of mine who's ever gone through any kind of ED treatment is always told over and over again, your big bad eating voice, you have to like squash it down and push it down. And um, a lot of times they'll even talk about how they have like their recover, like strengthening your recovery voice, which I think is actually like not a terrible phrasing, so to speak, because I think you do need to like engage with that the same way you need to engage with your eating disorder, right? But one of the things that comes up and that I've heard from clients of mine is that their recovery voice becomes a bully to themselves too and telling them that they're not doing enough in their recovery. And it's like, wait a minute, Let's take a step back and get to know our eating disorder. What is it? Why did it 
why did it manifest to begin with? Like, where did it come from? Because it didn't just come from wanting to look good. It came from something else. And so the parts where it gives you that opportunity to to dive deeper into that. And I think that that's really beautiful. And where again, like getting to the roots of the healing and getting down, you know, like you said, below the neck and finding out what's going on and how, what part might be coming up for you. And maybe why is it there? Like, why did it see? And it's remarkable to see in practice when you get to this place and all of a sudden, you know, a client will start saying and talking about, it's easier to eat now. Like, I'm, it's a little bit easier to like to go and do this now because I understand and I can feel what it's trying to do. And I can say to my ED voice, hey, I see you. I know why you're here. I get it. Um, You've done a really great job of protecting me throughout the years. You gave me some really great tools, but they're not serving me anymore. And I got this other idea that's really going to come in and crush it. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like a way of kind of like of rephrasing that. And I think um, it's it's missed when talked about a lot when it comes to eating disorder type of work. And I think it's so important and so valuable. Um, and I think you don't have to have an eating disorder also for everyone listening in order to benefit from this. You know, when you're having a bad body image day, what Dana and I refer to this a lot of the time is this like our inner mean girl. Like, who is that inner mean girl coming up and why is she being such a bitch? You know, like, what is she trying to do? Like, what is she trying to protect me from? Like, what do I hear below it? What can I feel underneath it? I think um, we sometimes get caught up in... um trying to squash what we're hearing instead of getting curious about why we're hearing it in the first place. But I could go on about inner family systems <laughs> all day long and I'm not going to do that to everybody. I'm not no, going to do that actually, to everybody. I So I, w- I mentioned before that I was quite sad when my three-year program for somatic experiencing came to an end and for like the past year and a half, I've been wanting to do this IFS program. And I told myself I wasn't allowing myself to do the program until I completed my SE certification. And so I finished my SE certification on the 29th. And then enrollment for this IFS program started on December 1st. And I just went for it. So I'm super excited. I get to start that in January. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. I can 100% relate to exactly what you just said. I have taken and also I have bought many more courses that I have taken in my life. But I love, obviously, continuing education. And like, you know, as you I think as you evolve as a practitioner and evolve in your practice and you learn that there's so much more that you don't know that is related to what you do. It's so cool to like enroll in all these different trainings and stuff. But I think I might use that tool going forward is like, hey, if you want to sign up for another training, you have to actually finish or at least do most of the previous one that you bought before you sign up for the next one. Yes. It was helpful because I'm like, yes, I want to do this. And I also want to be like fully present while I'm doing my SE course, you know, and so I knew that I'd be done it at the end of November. And I knew this one was starting in January of the next year. I'm like, okay, it just makes sense. So yeah, that's really exciting. I have so many courses and things that I will do, want to do all of the different things too. Um, this is not the phase of my life to be taking any more training. I think if I signed up for a, a course or signed up for some kind of certification, Casey might smack me. Like he might be like, you need to stop. Like you need or to me. cool it. I would- or Dana. Dana would totally yell at me. She's like, you signed up for what now? <laughs> like, what'd you do? You know, it's having to have those people in your life, though, you know, like yeah. keep you grounded, keep like, you in your lane. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, now's not the time. Wait till both of my kids are in elementary school. And we're a little bit older. <laughs> Things are a little less crazy. Um, I have really loved this whole conversation. I think it's really important for a lot of people to hear. And I think if you've been struggling with working on your relationship with your body, relationship with food, I think we've really covered some really unique tools. And maybe you've gone down other more quote unquote traditional, although this is very traditional to me, but 
You may have gone down other types of therapies or cognitive behavioral therapy type stuff or things like that to work on this. Um, and you're looking and you are feeling kind of like what you were talking about, Meg, about kind of feeling like I'm like kind of partially like recovered, but I feel like I could there's like a whole another layer that I could go down. Like I feel like sometimes it doesn't have to feel like a fight all the time. And um, so I really love that we shared all of this so people have a little bit more of an education on the different tools that are available um, for them. Um, if Dana, if you don't have any other questions, I'd love for Meg to share with everybody where they can find her, see her, look for all your things, what you offer, all all the stuff. Yeah, I mean, we wanted to talk about nervous system dysregulation and hormone stuff, but I think that needs to be an entire other episode. Like when we were recording this, I was just here like, yeah, 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 you know, listening because I don't do a lot of in my practice, like a lot of parts work or IFS or anything like that. So I was just like, wow, this is so cool. And then I looked at the clock and I was like, how has it been this long already? Like, I feel like this flew by. So we'll definitely have to do another episode on the hormone connection. And we can talk a lot about, you know, other stuff with the nervous system because, you know, I love that, Christina. But yeah, Meg, please tell everybody where they can find you, all the different places. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I'd love to come back and do like a part two of all the things that we didn't get to today because it totally felt like I was here for 15 minutes. So <laughs> I'd love to come back. Um, yes. So I am on Instagram. I am Meg Doll is my handle over there. I can link it up for or give you my link and stuff like that. And my website is MegDoll.com. I also have a podcast called Unbreakable You. So I have new episodes there. I do have a lot of, you know, somatic experiencing eating disorder type of podcast episodes. That's kind of like what we talk about over there. And then as far as like the work that I do, I do work one-on-one -on -one with clients right now. Um, so if that, you know, piques your interest, by all means, just feel free to reach out to me. Yay. Thank you so much again for coming on. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, friends. It's Dana. And thanks so much for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast today. Find us on social media at Wholehearted Eating Pod on Instagram and at wholeheartedeating.com for more information about working with Dana and Christina for one-on-one -on -one nutrition counseling. If you love the show, we would love you forever if you share an episode with your family and friends or tag us on social media or leave a five-star rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts to help more people find the show. Check out patreon.com slash wholeheartedeating to help support the show and get access to ad-free episodes, bonus episodes with us and our guests, episode discussions, new resources we're creating for Patreon, and so much more. If you have questions for us, feedback on the show, potential topics or guests you'd love to have on, shoot us an email at hello at wholeheartedeating.com and we'll see you next week.